Need to get schooled on the latest in the world of college football? This is Chicago's College Tailgate with Black and Abdallah. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Here are your hosts, Chris Black and Adam Abdallah. Chicago's College Tailgate right here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. I'm Chris Black along with Adam Abdallah. You can listen to our show weeknights, 6 day right here on ESPN 1000. We are presented by Keeper's Heart, Irish American Whiskey, and Northwestern Athletics. Chicago's College Tailgate every Saturday throughout the fall during the college football season. We go from Labor Day until Championship Weekend. Today is that day, Championship Saturday in college football. Last show of the year for Chicago's College Tailgate. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun. It's always really fast. It goes by very quickly. Thank you to everybody that's tuned in on Twitch, uh, that's come to the few events that we've had with Keeper's Heart. Irish American Whiskey. I mean, listen, the Americans are playing right now. They're playing the Netherlands. We know that that's going on, so it's time to pour some Irish uh, American Whiskey here, the Keeper's Heart, into the coffee. One last time here on Chicago's College Tailgate. That was actually a lot. That was a big, that was a heavy pour. That's good. It's the last show. That was now, a heavy uh, pour. Now, let me get to, to the business here. We will talk about Championship Weekend, uh, Championship Saturday here uh, throughout this program. But Chris, uh, let's you, go you back talk, to you Championship Friday. Go, go ahead. No, 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 no. I was saying, let's go back to Championship Friday. Let's recap what we saw real quick. Because I know what you like to do. You like to recap what we saw. Let's recap what we saw. Let's yeah, do I, it. I was going to go into it, but you, you jumped in front of me. No, like no, you're no. Trying let's to take do a it. Charge. No, I mean, no. What, what are you euro flopping all over the show? I'm not euro flopping all over the show. I'm just saying let's let's recap what happened. You're and like now the Dutch out no, there no, no, flopping no. already. And now what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn I'm off. I'm going to hold possession. That's I'm what gonna I'm going to do. Exactly. I'm going to turn off my microphone and I'm going to let my fine partner here in Chris Bleck. Noted USC fan, noted USC supporter, have the floor. All right, Chris, so, it's yours. So here's the deal. Utah wins 47-24 to last night. They win the Pac-12 championship. And what's going on here? Chris, I'm a Utah fan, sir. I live across the green. Our gang is the jolliest that you have <laughs> ever fine. seen. I hope I hope this is how it goes. This is a real song? Yeah, this is a real song. Our students are the finest, and each one's a shining star. Our yell, you'll hear it ringing through the mountains near and far. Who am I, sir? I'm a Utah fan. Am I? I'm a Utah yeah. fan, sir. Will be till I die. <laughs> is that it? Is that the whole no, there's like there? There, There's like a ton of words here, but Still uh, I'm just giving you the proper treatment at... You give to me when an Auburn wins, You're right over there. When an LSU wins, when a T- when a Tennessee wins. So I'm, you know, fair and balanced coverage here. As you were, have the floor. Pulisic was, uh, by the way, open in the box with a shot on goal and missed. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, it was yeah. deflected, uh, but the U.S. keeping possession. You've early. got one All eye right. on the on the uh, show, yeah. two eyes on the game, one eye on the not notes. paying attention to what you're doing right now. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, uh, as a USC fan, a year ago to get to this spot, to be in this conversation for the college football playoff up until this week, uh, it was definitely a different way of life, right? Like for, for someone who has been a fan of a team that consistently for the last 15 years has been completely pathetic, outmatched, unprepared, and, and just bad in all situations, especially when they're hyped. 
Uh, that's usually what has happened under Sarkeesian, under Kiffin, under Clay Helton, who was absolutely terrible. It's different this year with Lincoln Riley until you get to the Pac-12 championship game and you meet the team that really has been your foe for the last five-plus years. Uh, Utah is now 4-2 and two against USC in their last six games. And Utah, in those four games that they won, has scored 40-plus points in every single one of the games. Now, the transfer portal was Lincoln's best friend last year to get offensive weapons and to get the quarterback. But defensively, they're terrible. And for those uh, teams in the Midwest, uh, a lot of Midwestern college football fans in the Chicagoland area, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, the the blueprint's there to beat USC. Line play defensively, get after a quarterback, run the football. It's what Utah does. They have great success doing so. They had 35 carries last night for 223 yards. And USC, early on, it was obvious. When they went up 17-3 to and they settled for a field goal, clearly Lincoln was upset and he knew they needed touchdowns. They had to score on every single possession. You saw it early in the, the first half where they went for it on fourth down and they didn't get it, Uh, he knew they needed touchdowns because the defense wasn't going to be able to sustain a full game. And going up 17-3 was not enough. They had to be 21-3 at that point, and hopefully that would have been enough to force Utah into into an uncomfortable situation to turn the ball over, which is something USC has excelled at this season. But that was the only hope they had. The moment they kicked that field goal, I knew the game was going to be super tight, and I knew it was going to be close. And then, obviously... The way the second half went, that was pathetic. Some of the worst tackling I've ever seen in a college football game in the third quarter and in the fourth. And uh, USC loses last night. They're out of the college football conversation for the playoff. And heck, you know, right immediately after the game, I wasn't as upset. But as I continued to stew about what happened, like it was so bad last night, you don't even get to go to the Rose Bowl. So not only do you miss on the college football playoff, but you don't like It would be one thing if you could go to the Rose Bowl and you could win a Heisman Trophy with your quarterback. But really, what's the point of having a Heisman Trophy winner if you don't even play in the Rose Bowl and you're USC? So Utah, congratulations. You win 47-24. to You controlled the game. Cameron Rising was fantastic. He went 22 of 34, 310 yards and three touchdowns. And Caleb Williams limping all over the field. And uh, let's take a listen. Here's Lincoln Riley last night with a reporter in the postgame about Caleb Williams and his injury. The guy to your left has to be one of the gutsiest performances you've seen. And what was the conversation at one point with your backup warming up? Was there a consideration? Oh, there's definitely. I mean, he popped his hamstring on the on the long run that was well, on the second or third drive of the game. Um, and I asked him at one point, I was like, are you 50%? And, I mean, he was not even close to 50%. And, um I definitely thought about taking him out. I, he wouldn't have let me, um, and he didn't let me. And um, he wouldn't even let me take him out at the end. And, and uh, it was, yeah, in, in terms of guys I've coached at that position, is maybe the gutsiest performance I've ever seen. Oh, gutsy. Well, it's good to know that the players are controlling the program, Lincoln, because uh, what, what are you doing? Clearly, Caleb Williams, late into the second quarter, third and fourth, he was unplayable, especially in the walk, third quarter. Dude. He couldn't he, walk. He couldn't walk. Uh, I don't know how much of that was him milking it or if it was legit. Uh, but that is something 
that when you see the player, he can't play. Like here, here's the other thing that I found very bothersome. A part of the success to this USC football team in the last month has been their run game. And I know that die was out, but Austin Jones has been great in replacement. Mm -hmm. He had 15 carries for 35 yards, 15 carries. Lincoln Riley went completely away from the run game, which is something that the offensive line has controlled. And I get it that Utah is a much better defense than maybe some of the other schools in the Pac-12, but I don't know if they're that much better than Notre Dame. So you completely avoided the run game. You put your uh, quarterback who can't move back there like a statue. I mean, at a certain point, you have to pull Caleb Williams and you have to get back to how your offense is ran. I, I just thought that when things started to crumble last night, they got desperate, and Lincoln Riley, once again, has a defense that can't do anything in a big spot. I saw this tweet from Andy Staples last night. Uh, Staples uh, said that apparently, uh, you know, people don't, are unaware of Lincoln Riley's defenses and how bad they are. Uh, since the college football playoff started in 2014, the three worst defenses in terms of yards per play allowed on the field are all Lincoln Riley coach teams. 2018, Oklahoma. 2017, Oklahoma. 2019, Oklahoma. Until last night with USC's defense, which was just atrocious. And by the way, Caleb Williams, Heisman favorite. He was able to stay in the game because he talked his way into it. That's not smart coaching from Lincoln Riley. Here's Caleb Williams on the injury. You ever have an old rubber band? <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of felt like that. And then um, the rest of the game, I, I felt it, but I had a, I had a something that I always go by, not always go by, but something that I have watched and, and, and admire and a person that I admire is, is Kobe. And, um, and he always said the game is bigger than what you're feeling. Um, and, um, and so I was in my head and, and, and encouraging myself that the game is bigger than, than what I was feeling. Um, and I also had a, a group of guys that was looking at me, um, to go out there and lead them to, to victory. And, um, that ended up happening, but that was what was going on. Memphis Dupay with the goal in the 10th minute. Uh, the Netherlands lead one nothing over the U.S. <sighs> and uh, so there's Caleb Williams uh, quoting Kobe, laughing in the post game, boo-hooing on the sideline after the game. Uh, that That's the situation. Still likely, I think, to win the Heisman Trophy because yeah, he win. still played well despite the injuries. So, Well, the odds will tell you that he's going to win. I mean, like, he went from... Minus 2,000 to, like, minus 1,500. Like, he's going to win. Like, Max Duggan would have to put up 40 points on his own today to maybe have a chance. Like, Caleb Williams is winning the Heisman. It's not even going to be an issue. Like, he's going to win the Heisman. And I would say that, hey, uh, you know, you'll get that defense fixed next year, but it is uh, Lincoln Riley, and he's never fixed his defense. Now, USC is – I would say USC is different, but – Oklahoma's been the king of the Big 12 yeah. for a while when he was there. Here's the problem. The problem was you First got... First of all, Memphis Dupay was just completely unmarked in the middle of the box. Well, what that's what how is you, the U.S. defense that's, doing? Look, that's how you hit a cross. Like, they've had two cross chances the U.S. have, and no one's been there. To, just empty. Like, just empty. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, they've been... And this happened against their in their last game, too, where they were lucky to win, but they had so many crosses that no one hit in the box, and they did the same thing. Pulisic should have had a goal, and you should have had a goal there with one of the good crosses. So it should be 2-1 to one U.S., but obviously it's not. And, well, yeah, because we can't score. And I would say, listen, if you're watching, maybe go back to bed uh, <laughs> if you're up early. Keep listening to us. Turn us up. Mute this game. Turn us up. Um, look, 
you were kind of I don't want to say you were playing with house money because you had a Heisman winning quarterback who's going to be a Heisman winning quarterback and you have one of the best coaches in college football and your USC. So once you get to the game, you expect to win the game. Now, if you'd won the game, getting business done in the playoff would have been a different situation, but you just want the opportunity to be there, right? And have the opportunity to play Georgia in the first round of the playoff. That you just want that opportunity. And the way the game started, you were like, oh man, this is going to be, but then, you know, well, you know, you know your team, and that team is going to give up points. Like they're going to. Like Utah was going to find some success just because USC's defense has been that bad, and they were opportunistic. They forced some turnovers, so they've had super. For, uh, they've been super fortunate with the turnovers this season, and that's been why they've been able to win games. Is their defense has been awful, but they've been able to force the most turnovers in the Pac-12, and that's why they've been in this situation, and they were able to be in this situation. But you face a team that just bullies you. You know, they remind me of the Titans, right? Like, the Titans have no business being in football games with, like, the Chiefs, but they find ways to beat you up, to ram their head into you, and they just bully you, and then they eventually find a way to keep it close, and they find a way to win games. Now, the Titans didn't beat the Chiefs because they're the Chiefs, but... USC is that, like, all offense, no defense. And Utah, for the last how many years, has been that team that's like, we play smash mouth, beat you down at the line football, and that's what wins. Well, and and that's why we've talked about Kyle Whittingham being one of the best coaches in college football. And that's why when USC's job was was open last year, he was one of the names to be rumored uh, if somehow they could find a way to convince him to come to USC before the Lincoln-Riley stuff even started, before... SC fans thought that they could get someone like uh, Lincoln Riley. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there you go. Once again, Utah uh, smash mouth football takes uh, USC to the woodshed. Uh, Utah wins 47-24. They win the Pac-12. Heather Dinich last night on SportsCenter was asked, does this now move Ohio State into the fourth spot for the college football playoff? I have no doubt that Ohio State will be in the top four on selection day. The committee is going to shift its focus to justifying the Buckeyes in the top four, which is going to be what they've said all along. They've got a top ten win against Penn State, and that win against Notre Dame continues to resonate. They are not putting a three-loss Utah in even as a Pac-12 champ and again I reiterate why it was so important that fifth ranking Ohio State has the edge over Alabama to slide into that spot and I would say it is highly unlikely unexpected that that is going to change so Alabama now has to turn its focus to watching and hoping that TCU gets absolutely hammered by K-State in that Big 12 championship game. So you're thinking Heather it's not just a loss by TCU potentially that could get a two-loss Alabama into that final four but they have to get house sort of like USC just did against Utah. Yes and even then it's not a given. I think people are assuming too many things with TCU. If TCU loses the selection committee is going to look at their regular season win against K-State. Remember they had to come back from an 18-point deficit in that game and their road win against Texas. That's a common opponent with Alabama. Alabama also went on the road and beat Texas. But you remember, Quinn Ewers got injured in the first half, and they beat Texas with the Longhorns' backup quarterback for most of that game. 
All of those things come under the microscope, along with Alabama's best wins. Mississippi State snuck into the rankings for the CFP Top 25 this past ranking. Their best wins against Ole Miss as well. So all of those things will come under the microscope, but if Alabama is going to get back into the conversation, yes. TCU has to lose and look bad in the process. How that game unfolds will impact how the selection committee talks about it. So that's Heather Dinnett. She's the best at breaking down resumes in the college football playoff. She was on SportsCenter last night. So it's Black and Abdallah and Chicago's College Tailgate. We'll continue to preview Championship Saturday in college football. Coming up next. More college football talk is right around the corner. Chicago's College Tailgate Show. This is ESPN Chicago. Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to Chicago's College Tailgate with Black and Abdallah. On Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Chicago's College Tailgate here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago App Championship Saturday in college football. As we're talking with you here on this Saturday morning, keeping our eyes on the U.S. and the Netherlands. Netherlands lead 1-0 in the 22nd minute right now, so we'll keep you up to date throughout the match. Uh, here on ESPN 1000, Kansas State TCU is the first game of note today on ABC. Uh, TCU, you win the Big 12, you get into the championship uh, here on the show, we love talking to one of our college football friends, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. You can follow him on ESPN.com and also on Twitter at ESPN Rittenberg. And we started the conversation talking with Rittenberg about TCU. This big game today, you win, you get into the college football playoff. Here's Rittenberg. It, it is, although I think it's important for everyone to remember that they've already beaten this team. Um, so you're, certainly it's a big game. It's a championship game. It's a chance for them to leave no doubt about their playoff status, but we haven't had too many of these cases with, you know, somewhat borderline playoff teams where they've already beaten the team that they're playing in the championship game. So that has to stand for something, even if it doesn't go well for them today, but it has been an incredible year. And this is a really good team. This is a team that, um, you know, has found different ways to win. They're not overly reliant on one side of the ball, even though they've been great on offense with Max Duggan, uh, Kendry Miller, um, Quentin Johnson is one of the, the top receivers, I think, for the NFL draft and, and other weapons. They've, but they've had some, some games where their defense has, has really stood out, you know, especially the game against, against Texas on the road where they essentially held the Longhorns without a touchdown. It was a, a defensive touchdown they scored in the fourth quarter. So it, it was, uh, it, it's been just one of the best stories in college football, a team that was picked seventh to, in the Big 12, a new coach in Sonny Dykes replacing a Hall of Famer with a statue outside of the athletic building and Gary Patterson. And here they are with a chance to make their the first college football playoff appearance. I remember being at TCU back in 2014 when they you know, finished the season strong. They didn't get a chance to do it because Ohio State won the Big Ten so definitively that Ohio State got in ahead of both TCU and Baylor. I still believe TCU in 2014 could have won the national championship. They didn't just get they they just didn't get an opportunity. This year's team obviously can earn its way in with the win on the, uh, against Kansas State. So if they don't win, do you think the committee will drop them out of the top four? You know, it, it, it'll be an interesting test case because I think to your guys' point, um, there has been a bit of a reluctance with the committee and how they view TCU and. You know, the Big 12 is a league that has, you know, a lot of, you know, tough games and, and, and not too many easy opponents, but they also don't have very many elite teams 
other than TCU. And, and I would put Kansas State in that category, even though they've lost three games. Everybody has lost, you know, four or five, six games in that conference. And so, you know, could, could they get in ahead of an Ohio State that only has the one loss to, to Michigan? Or even, I guess, Alabama that has two losses, um, very close losses in, in the SEC. Um, would, would those teams get in ahead of, uh, you know, TCU that, that was so good and took care of business and, and obviously would, 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 would lose their only game today? I think it would be an, an interesting test case for the, for the committee, but I absolutely think they can get in with just the one loss because, because they, they've, they've, they've run the table in their conference. They've beaten everybody already. Not to say that it's, it, the Big 12 championship game matters, but if there was any, you know, league that doesn't really need a championship game in this case, it's, it's the Big 12 because TCU has literally beaten everybody and in some ways already is the Big 12 champion. Well, because my philosophy is this, and I know that we're not dealing with computers anymore, with dealing with, with humans that are trying to put together the, the two best matchups. And at the same time, like in the back of my mind, trying to conduct this or, or to make this matchup, I'm also looking at ratings. And I know people are going to watch the games regardless, but Ohio State or Alabama is a lot sexier than TCU in there if they do lose. It is. Um, I, I hear that. And those teams are obviously very talented. But, you know, in the case of Ohio State, um, they had every opportunity on their home field to leave no doubt. And they really struggled in the second half against Michigan. In Alabama's case, I know you're an Alabama guy, but, you know, yeah, they lost two games. They could have easily lost two more. No, um, no, no, Alabama Adam, no, no, no two lost teams in the playoff. I don't care who it is, unless Ooh, it's Alabama. Uh, yeah. Unless it's Alabama, no two lost teams in the playoff. <laughs> it's never happened, period. And, you know, if, if, listen, if, if it was a, a two-loss conference champion, I, I, I'd feel a little differently about it. If it was a two-loss team that had been dominant in all their other games, I'd feel differently about it. You know, Alabama just didn't show up enough this year. I mean, I hate to say it. It's a really talented team. They probably have the best <laughs> offensive and best defensive players uh, in the country. But for whatever reason, it didn't come together like it usually does for them. Max Duggan, uh, 29 touchdowns, three interceptions on the season, over 3,000 yards of passing, the quarterback for the Horn Frogs. Uh, Adam, when you kind of look at his season as a senior and what he was able to put together here going undefeated in the regular season, how do you kind of put into context Duggan's season for the Horn Frogs? Unbelievable. Uh, no, it's, it's such an interesting story because it, you know, he, it wasn't like he was a first-year starter. He started the last couple of years for Gary Patterson and, and, and showed some flashes of, of the talent that he has, you know, as an athlete, as a quarterback. Um, but again, you know, he, you know, new staff, new offense with Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley, Lincoln Riley's brother, the offensive coordinator. And then he goes out and he loses the competition to start. You know, he was not their guy going into the year. It was Chandler Morris. You know, Chandler gets hurt in the opening game against Colorado. Max Duggan comes in and has, has put together just an exceptional season. He won the, Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award earlier this week and, um, you know, has, has played almost flawless football uh, week in and week out in different ways. I mean, the way that he was able to set up that game-winning field goal against Baylor on the road in a game that TCU didn't play particularly well overall was, was really impressive. And, you know, again, I think he's a guy that absolutely deserves a, an invitation to New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. Um, we'll see how he performs today, but um, just just to get this team in this position and overcome, you know, being an established guy and losing your starting job, and then stepping in the way he did and never looking back. It's it's a really it's a really cool story. 
Moving on to the SEC championship game, LSU and Georgia. Obviously, this game would have had a lot more meaning if LSU didn't lose to Texas A&M last week. But looking at what Brian Kelly has been able to do at LSU in one year, are you kind of surprised or did you expect this from Brian Kelly that he would be able to come in and win nine potentially if they do pull off the upset against Georgia 10 games in his first year as LSU head coach? Well, I definitely didn't expect it after the way they started because, you know, they, they made a lot of mistakes in that opening game, especially on special teams and lost to Florida State, which was essentially a road a home game. It was in New Orleans. I know it's a neutral site, but if LSU plays in New Orleans, it's a home game in the way that I look at it. But, but then I think the growth that they made from there um, to, the, you know, beating Alabama um, and, uh, and beating Ole Miss, uh, you know, they, they had some really good moments. Jaden Daniels. You know, showed really a, a lot of growth. I, I thought transferring in from Arizona State, he looked a lot more like the guy we saw in 2019 for ASU, but even a better runner than, than he was at, at that point. So, um, you know, Brian Kelly wins. You know, I think you know, a lot of people don't like him or his personality or certain things he says and does, but I think his track record as a winner, um, you know, is, is impressive. And it's hard to win as consistently as he did at Notre Dame. It'll be hard to win as consistently at LSU, although he's got some different advantages there that maybe he didn't have at Notre Dame. And I think it's a, it's a definitely an, a, a solid first season, even if it ends like we expect with a loss to Georgia in this game today that, hey, we, they can win the West Division. Um, they're just getting started. Uh, let's see what they can do in the next few years. But as you guys both know, if you're the LSU coach, you are only judged by one thing. And it, interestingly enough, it's the same thing that you're judged by at Notre Dame. Can, can you win a national championship? Right. Now, the difference is no one at Notre Dame has won a national championship since Lou Holtz in 1988. LSU, the last three coaches who are very different, all won national championships. And so Brian Kelly will ultimately judge, be judged by whether he does get into the playoffs and does win a national championship, and obviously those things are not happening this year. Yeah, and it's turned out to be a fantastic first year for the Tigers and Brian Kelly. I, I would also say some of the sizzle for this game today is, is kind of diminished based on what we saw from Texas A&M last week, right? Like, this would be a huge opportunity for LSU if they didn't lose last week to the Aggies. And so my question is this, like, what was up with Texas A&M this year? They finished the season 5-7. and seven. Jimbo Fisher and his recruiting and, and everything that kind of went into the season this was supposed to be a team fighting for the playoff and now they're they're playing spoiler and they get a big win in their final game against lsu but wow what a disappointing season for texas a&m this year yeah incredibly disappointing um you know just where they were coming in you mentioned the the recruiting uh having the number one class and maybe that will translate more in, in years to come your number of coaches uh, in the sec you know, were very impressed with their individual talent especially some of their young uh, talent on the defensive side, but to finish uh, below 500 is, is just stunning. Even though, like you said, they do have that win against LSU at the end to you know mitigate a little bit of the pain. You know, I, I think Devon Shane was was terrific all year at running back and and returner, and he you know he goes out with a 215 yard performance against against LSU. Connor Wegman, you know, maybe that answer at quarterback. You know, they're going to have a new offensive coordinator going into 2023. It's a big year for Jimbo Fisher. I don't know how soon they can get out of his contract, but if he doesn't deliver soon, they have to start considering that because, you know, at this point, he was supposed to be in the playoff. At this point, he was supposed to be contending for a national championship, not going five and seven. Um, and, and it just looks like the SEC West is, is getting tougher with, uh, with LSU, you know, improving Alabama. Alabama's not going away. You know, Auburn gets a fresh start with Hugh Freeze. 
as their new coach. Um, you know, and then you got Texas and Oklahoma coming in in a couple of years. So it's a really critical 2023 season for, for Jimbo Fisher and what's still a very talented roster to start winning uh, at a much higher level and competing for a playoff spot. What about this Georgia team and the other side of the SEC championship game today? Like, I don't feel like we've talked a lot about Georgia on our show this year. Because, they're too good. Like, they're too good. But again, <laughs> like, you look at their schedule. That's 16-6 to game against Kentucky. They looked sleepy against Kent State, against Missouri. Like, is this team gettable or are they just bored? Yeah, at times they do look bored. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if they're gettable in a big game. I, you know, we're probably going to find out much more when they get to the playoffs. But, um, you know, it, it's a team that, that, you know, what they've done defensively, guys, you know, you, you, know, you follow the draft closely just like I do, to lose all of those players to the draft and then still be able to, to turn it around and, and have a defense that's consistently allowing, you know, 20 points or less. I mean, holding Tennessee, who nobody had stopped to that point, to just 13 points, uh, really stands out. Even Mississippi State, very powerful offense, only 19 points. They didn't play the, 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 the toughest schedule by any means, um, you know, uh, but, but they have some notable wins. Uh, you know, certainly Tennessee jumps out, South Carolina, which is a team that played very well down the stretch. Georgia absolutely dominated them in Columbia back in, in September. But, but they do, it does feel like they're bored. I think mean, that's a good word to use about where they're at and, and, and how, how are they going to perform when they get back on the stage uh, like, like they were last year, you know, having that championship experience under their belt for a lot of them but then there's a lot of guys because they were backups that that maybe you know are are now starters and are in much bigger roles how do they handle that situation I'll tell you this though guys you know there's not very many quarterbacks I would pick before Stetson Bennett to win me a big game and I kind of can't believe I'm saying that (laughs) because he's not a guy that that has those NFL level skills and you know he's going to be a a franchise quarterback at the next level but he's a big game player and, uh, and it's undeniable. And, you know, I don't think he's surrounded by, you know, necessarily the, the wide receiving core that C.J. Stroud has or that Caleb Williams has at USC. Obviously, a lot of really good, highly recruited players on that Georgia offense. But you got to give Stetson Bennett a lot of credit for the fact that Georgia is once again in this position and will be favored to win a national championship for the second straight year. I love that opinion because uh, that that's not spicy enough to be on like get up or, or first take at him. <laughs> like, like, but you're right. You're totally right. He's a steady hand. He makes plays. There is no flash there. And I'm, I'm sure the casual college football fan probably barely knows Stetson Bennett and he's just excelled. He's gotten for, better this year. Yeah, no, I know. And in big spots, he plays well. I love it. Um, I, I do want to ask you this. Uh, probably one of the very best to Defensive players in all of the country, Jalen Carter, he'll be uh, in the middle for the Bulldogs on defense. Uh, Adam, when you watch Carter play, and if someone is going to watch today's game, the SEC championship game, what should they be looking for from Jalen Carter, Carter and what type of season has he had? So I did this piece earlier this week for ESPN Plus where I asked coaches in every Power 5 league, you know, who, who the best players they faced were. And so not, obviously not everybody faced Jalen Carter, but the, guy, the coaches who did said two things. I had a, an assistant, uh, offensive assistant tell me he's the best player in the league when he wants to play hard. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind, which is you know, a somewhat common critique of defensive linemen. Do they bring it on every play? Uh, and then I had an offensive coordinator um, you know, also send me a text that said, it's not even close, he's the best player in the league um, on the defensive side. So that, and even last year, 
the, uh, when he shared the defensive line and the, and the defense with all those, um, you know, high level draft picks, there were, there were people who said he was their best player. So that, that, that's how dominant he can be. And, and obviously a real challenge in a game that I would presume he's going to play hard, which is the SEC championship game. So definitely someone to watch. Um, someone to watch here in Chicago as the Bears are certainly trending towards a high, a high draft pick. Um, uh, for 2023, who could be in that in that conversation for for them um, and, and obviously other teams? But he, he he is an absolute force when he wants to be in the middle of that Georgia defensive line. Black and Abdallah on Chicago's college tailgate. We'll continue previewing championship Saturday in college football next. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. This is Chicago's college tailgate show with Black and Abdallah. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000, Chicago's College Tailgate Show. With Black and Abdallah. ESPN 1000, and now on FM at 100.3 HD2. Chicago's home for sports. College Tailgate presented by Keeper's Heart, Irish American Whiskey, and Northwestern Athletics. We continue to preview Championship Saturday in college football with Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. Two championship games on tonight, the ACC championship game between Clemson and North Carolina. Clemson is kind of in this. I mean, they're not really because they're ranked a lot lower, but they're in that that two-loss area like Alabama is. Like, why is Clemson ranked so low by the committee with the same two? I know it's not the same two losses, but they have the two losses like Alabama does, and it's still like it's still Clemson. Like, they're still, you know, it's it's still Dabo. It's still Clemson. Like, shouldn't they be ranked a little bit higher? They're the two-loss team that has a chance to win a championship game yes where the other two lost teams in the combo bama tennessee they do not have that opportunity should they be in the conversation adam no no <laughs> i think that Clemson is, on, them this year it just isn't a playoff team like you know i think there are a lot of people that were just quietly oh great notre dame is putting it on clemson we don't have to worry about them anymore yeah well you still have to worry about them a little bit because they're only one lost team and they had you know the crazy thing is they haven't lost a game in the acc and they, they still continue to dominate that league, which I think tells you a little bit about the overall strength of the ACC, that nobody's able to beat them um, in, in that league when they clearly have some deficiencies. Like Notre Dame exposed them. You know, South Carolina uh, was able to uh, you know come back from a 14 nothing deficit on the road at Clemson, where Clemson almost never loses, and, and beat them. And so I think, you know, Alabama, as much as I, I don't think this Alabama team should be in the playoff, you can at least say, okay, two last play losses. Um, you know, Clemson got absolutely torched at, at Notre Dame, and yes, they're 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 you know heavily favored to win another ACC title. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's not happening this year for for Davos bunch, and they really have to look at what's going on on offense and and why can't they um, get back to where they were for so many years? Um, you know, with 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 Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence and all those great receivers, even Todd Boyd before before Watson was was an effective quarterback for them. Um, and not putting it all on the quarterback, and Dabo has defended DJ Owangalale quite a bit, but they, they just don't look the same offensively, guys, and, and that, that's got to change. A uh, tough way for the Tar Heels to kind of back into this game, losing their last two games against Georgia Tech and NC State. Uh, but I, I was surprised at the success that the Tar Heels had this year. Last year, there was a lot of hype before the, the season started that North Carolina could be a sleeper playoff team, and then they lost early. 
Uh, and then they they were not in that conversation. I didn't see the type of hype this season for the Tar Heels, but they put together a pretty nice season, nine and three. What what do you make of Mac Brown's team heading into this game? Yeah, I mean it's a team that unfortunately you know struggled down the stretch. Um, uh, lost to Georgia Tech at home, lost to NC State at home, but before that was was playing good football. You know they weren't dominant, but Drake May, uh, their quarterback, has been has been tremendous. Um, you know, all year. And what was interesting about the ACC is that going into the season, there was so much talk about the quarterbacks in that league um, because 10 teams returned uh, players with starting experience. And there were some record-setting players like uh, like Brendan Armstrong and Sam Hartman and Malik Cunningham. Um, and uh, and those, you know, some of those guys all played well. But the guy who was clearly the best quarterback was, was Drake May, who I think uh, had 10 pass attempts last year. It was very low. Um, obviously, the brother of Luke May, for those who remember – uh, North Carolina basketball. So he comes from great bloodlines. And, you know, talking to Mac Brown a few weeks ago about him, you know, he, he noted, um, you know, just how, how naturally gifted he is with the size and the arm strength, but also he's been asked to run the ball a lot because North Carolina has had some injuries at the running back position. So, you know, he, he, it'll be interesting to see how, how Clemson handles him because they haven't seen, uh, you know, too many quarterbacks this season, even at Notre Dame or, or South Carolina that I think have that high level ability like Drake May does. So maybe they shut him down and win easily, but he's also a guy that I think can keep a, a Carolina team that's good but not great in a game like this. And the final championship game, the Big Ten championship game between Michigan and Purdue. Were you surprised to see Michigan completely alter their game plan and win a game against, like I know we talked at the beginning of the season and and midway through the season about Michigan and and how good they were and whether or not, you know, Harbaugh just got his one against Ohio State last year. And you said, no, they're going to be, they're they're good and they could get another one. They did get another one. But were you surprised at the way that they beat Ohio State? I, you know, certainly I was. Um, now I'll say this: you know, talking to people at Michigan and people that are uh, that know JJ McCarthy that are close to him, there was a sense like, okay, well, what, we haven't really let him go loose. You kind of turned him loose. We never really had to put it on his shoulders to win a game, um, and, and they they had to do that to to, to an extent because Clay Corum was obviously not not effective because of his knee injury, unfortunately, against uh, Ohio State. But in a weird way, you know, like like by 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 him being out. Uh, and, and Jonathan Edwards also being somewhat limited as the backup running back, like JJ had to go make it happen. And it's, I think that that's where he's at his best, where he can make those throws on the run and be creative. And, and, uh, you know, he's just a different type of quarterback than Michigan has had uh, during the Jim Harbaugh era. And why it was, you know, it was sort of a low key, bold thing that they did early this year. I don't know how much real attention it got outside of the Midwest where Michigan uh, basically set things up for, you know, their returning starter, Cade McNamara, yeah. to lose the, the starting quarterback down to a more ta- more talented player. Like, it doesn't happen at Michigan very often. The guy who won the big, helped you win a Big Ten title and beat Ohio State, we're saying, well, thanks, but here this guy's better, so we're going to put him in. And you hadn't really seen why. And I think you saw why in the, in the Ohio State game and why, you know, I think Michigan, which should get in the playoff regardless of the result tonight in Indianapolis, and they're obviously favored to win this game pretty handily, but uh, it, it makes them interesting to me. Now, even if they got into the same arena as Georgia, and we know that game wasn't overly competitive, but I think part of it was because Michigan didn't have a guy at quarterback who could do some of the things 
that, that, that J.J. did against Ohio State and who knows, possibly could against a team like Georgia. So I, I think it, it, it definitely look at Michigan in a different light. They, they were very creative, I thought, and smart with their play calling and, and did some different types of things in that Ohio State game and uh, excited to see what they do against the Purdue team that's going to let it rip. You know, I talked with Jeff Brom, their coach, earlier this week, and uh, he was giving me a hard time because I always, I always dog him on Twitter about <laughs> he doesn't know how to run out of clock when they have a lead. He's like, that's who I am, man. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to throw the ball around. And I think it, 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 with, a, with a, an indoor game, no weather being a factor, and a quarterback like Aiden O'Connell, um, it'll be interesting to see if they can hang with Michigan. So, you know, Jeff Brom promised me he's going to throw it about 70 times. I don't think he's really going to do that, but uh, that, that, that's who they are. And it kind of makes this game uh, a little bit, a little bit more fun than some of the recent big 10 championship games. I love the patience from Luke fickle, because I think this hire for Wisconsin getting fickle to be their next football coach. I think it's an absolute home run. What do you think about this hire, Adam? Uh, I completely agree, and I, I think the, the, the part of it that, that surprised me is is that Luke wanted this job. N- nothing against Wisconsin, but um, you know he he was you know a guy that I, I firmly believe if Cincinnati had not made the playoff last year and he was available at this time of year, you know he'd probably be the head coach at Notre Dame. And, and that's not a knock against Marcus Freeman, but you know you, do you want Marcus Freeman or do you want the guy who, who's been a head coach for a while and was Marcus Freeman's boss at, at Cincinnati? Yeah. So. Um, you know, that, that was the caliber of job that he, you know, he was sort of in line for. Um, but, but the more that I, I think about Wisconsin and, and, and how it plays, and, and obviously um, talking with their athletic director, Chris McIntosh, after they made the hire, um, I can see why those two get along so well. They're both former Big Ten players in, in the 90s. You know, they both played along the line of scrimmage. Um, I, think, I think they have very, very similar values in, in the way that they see programs. And so, you know, the fact that they can get him is, is great. My only concern, and I, I firmly believe Luke Fickle will make Wisconsin better um, and get back to, to competing for championship. My only concern, guys, is, is what happens if the Ohio State job opens in two years or if the Notre Dame job opens yeah. in, in three or four years. You know, Luke Fickle's going to certainly be uh, high on their wish list. And does he stick it out at Wisconsin or does he, you know, go to jobs where it would be totally sensible for him to go? And then Wisconsin's once again looking for a new coach. Were you surprised that it took Matt Rule a little bit of time to get a job and that he ended up going with Nebraska? No, I mean, this is always sort of the time. There's been a lot of hires that are made this week, um, and and there's not a lot of jobs. I mean, comparing this year's coaching carousel to last year's, it's night and day. I mean, think about the jobs that were open last year. You know, LSU, USC, and then obviously Notre Dame and Oklahoma. Um, You know, we don't have too many of those you know, A-list jobs. I think both Wisconsin and Nebraska would have been places that made sense for Matt Rule. I, I never really thought he was a great fit at Auburn for, for that job. Um, and so, you know, I, I, of the available jobs, I think this is the one that, that made sense. Now, you know, could, could they have gotten it done a little bit earlier? Sure, because Matt Rule was available as soon as he got fired. Um, yeah, there were some you know, rumors about, well, he didn't want it at first, and maybe he turned them down at first and obviously came around to it. But um, I, I do think the fit makes a lot of sense for what they need and what Trev Alberts, their athletic director, wants, which is a coach who believes in winning at the line of scrimmage, a coach who believes in running the football, and ideally getting back to the way that Nebraska played when we were all growing up, where they were these robots that would just run over other teams and not beat themselves. And, and honestly play a, a, almost a very Big Ten style, even though they weren't in the conference. The, the thing that's been so frustrating, I'm sure for Nebraska fans, and even for me as someone who's covered the Big Ten, 
is that like Nebraska has not reflected who they were, which is what you need to be in the Big Ten. And I think right. that's what, what Matt Rule can kind of capture, just judging by what he, how his teams have played before at the college level at Baylor and Temple. We appreciate it, Adam. Enjoy the games today. Championship Saturday in college football. Can't wait. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, it's a great night. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Blocking Abdallah here on Chicago's College Tailgate on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. The Netherlands lead 2-0 going into halftime. Uh, they get a goal in the minute of stop in uh, extra time uh, at the end of the first half. So the Netherlands 2, the U.S. nothing. Uh, and it's been a, a bad outing. Uh, besides the two goals, the U.S. can't do anything. No, I mean, they've had a couple chances here, but if you look at the two uh, Dutch goals, they're exactly the same. You had crosses that were met perfectly, and the U.S. hasn't been able to. They just looked outmatched. They look absolutely outmatched. They look like that one kid you knew in middle school that played soccer that was just, like, better than everybody that wore umbros to school. Sure. And, like, but, like, didn't amount to anything after that. That's yeah. what this team looks like right he's, now. He was good in the fifth grade. Yeah, it's like, cool. All right, you what do, what do you play? You play soccer? All right, cool. Have fun on your weekends, bro. Uh, the playoff predictor. We'll talk about that next. Chicago's College Tailgate Show with Chris Black and Adam Abdallah. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000, Chicago's College Tailgate Show with Chris Black and Adam Abdallah. ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Championship Saturday, the last show of the season for Chicago's College Tailgate. We're presented by Keeper's Heart Irish American Whiskey and Northwestern Athletics. Let's go to the playoff predictor. Chicago's College Tailgate. The playoff predictor. Sure, it's a guess, but it's as educated of a guess as there can be. Because when it comes to deciding the four teams in the playoff, everything matters. In a game of hypotheticals. Who's in? Playoff predictor presented by Nissan United. And Abdallah, after last night, Utah wins 47-24 over USC, the fourth-ranked team in the country. And basically, what the playoff predictor is telling us, this all boils down to one result and one result only. You can focus on TCU and Kansas State, that game 11 o'clock on ABC. But basically, if you go to the playoff predictor and you play out the results, with USC losing... Ohio State will move into that fourth spot. Yeah. If you, on the playoff predictor, select TCU losing today, the playoff predictor still spits out TCU getting into the playoff on an 87% chance, and the team being left out would be Alabama getting a 23% chance to get in. They don't play today, but the teams would be Georgia, Michigan, TCU, Ohio State. TCU with a loss today, playoff predictor, predictor suggesting they still 87 percent chance to get in see that's weird to me because i don't see how you could not drop them a spot or two right because i know the committee probably doesn't want to have michigan ohio state be in the first round they would want that to be like a title game if possible so you have to move them down a little bit so you can't move them to four and ohio state up so to me they should i mean i'm not saying they should be moved out but they could be moved out I've always said no two lost teams in the playoff, but 
you can make a case for Alabama having lost two road games uh, by a combined four points. Like you can make a case for them over a TCU team in in the Big Twelve. Well, and and also to get the matchup you want, say Purdue plays well today against Michigan and TCU routes. Kansas State yeah. is it possible that they place TCU second and Michigan third? You could. I think that that win over Ohio State would still make Michigan uh, the second ranked team, but you never know. Like Brom's been really good as an underdog. Maybe they find a way to pull off an upset, and then Michigan just drops to maybe four, and then you move Ohio State. Maybe Ohio State doesn't end up getting in after that. So there's the playoff predictor. Basically, it seems as if TCU win or lose is in based on the ESPN playoff predictor. Uh, it's brought to you by Nissan United. Black and Abdallah talking college football with you today here on ESPN 1000. We'll be back in two minutes. This is Chicago's College Tailgate Show with Black and Abdallah. This is Chicago's home for sports. ESPN 1000 and now on FM at 100.3 HD2.